Thinking about the good things to come And I believe it could be Something that has begun Now I've been smiling Dreaming about the world Welcome everyone, this is Sasha of SashaTalks.com Today I have the pleasure of welcoming Adam Mackey He's the award-winning Australian author and filmmaker known as Angel A, releasing his second book, Holy Parrot, this month. Holy Parrot is an innovative novel catered to the emerging millennium that offers new mythology and pioneering solutions to combat suffering. It is a tale that presents the emerging mythology for the emerging age of Aquarius. The story seeks to bridge the gap between scientific method and spirituality. It also seeks to create religious synchronism, a coming together of religions under a common faith. It is for people who are scientific, who are curious about matters and behaviors of faith, and for people of faith who are curious about potential ways of moving forward on their spiritual path. Visit angelleap.com to learn more. Now help me welcome Adam. Adam, welcome to Sasha Talks. Thank you, Sasha. Lovely to spend this uh, time here with you today. Today, we're celebrating your latest book, Holy Parrot, and you happen to be a writer and filmmaker. Could you please introduce us to how, what journey brought you to release your second book? Uh, it's it's interesting that for me, I guess, that I had always been putting my focus originally on music theatre, uh, and then I moved to film, and then I had... Uh, the last novel or the first novel I wrote, I, I wrote as a script. And then I took it to a lot of the film festivals and, and the, the feedback on the script was excellent. And they were saying, you really need to sort of now create an audience for this uh, project. And they were basically saying, you know, something like a novel. It turns out that 70% of films have either a novel, a comic or some pre-existing format, you know, to uh, then the the film was then generated from so i thought oh, okay well maybe a novel and so i uh, moved towards thinking okay let's see about turning this book into a novel and so i did which was a a massive journey in itself and and it was a big uh leap of faith too to see whether my writing could hold up for a novel because i didn't know and uh and then that went particularly well it uh was very successful at i think it won uh, 14 awards i think for for literature and then so then it was a case of once i'd recovered from that it was like well i've got the next project i again in holy parrot I wrote it as a script and then it exists as a script. And I thought, well, I'll probably do the same thing. I'll, I'll uh, now make it a novel. So which will expand the story and expand my understanding of what the nuances of the story are, because you can add so much more to a, a novel. And now that novel is done and it's just about to be released. So, yeah. Because your work focuses in the second book between the scientific method and spirituality, would you coin yes. the book to be nonfiction and fiction or fiction only? I'd say fiction with a purpose. So it's a book that if you've read a book, let's say something like The Alchemist, you know, it is a fiction. Uh, but then you look back and say, well, what was the purpose of that narrative? And as some of the reviews that have come in have, have led to that conclusion to say it's something that perhaps people should read in a book club. So they would read the book and then discuss it in the book club about what the values are of the book, what the the elements are in the book of, of human nature and personal discovery. And, and then it's up to the individual what they want to take home from that. I think I like 
the process of a of a novel, I think, or as a narrative, to allow the the reader to take their own version or their own interpretation from it. Whereas a nonfiction, sometimes it's it's a little too instructional for me, and uh, so I, I think it's more gracious to say, well, here's just a story, take from it, will. So let's focus on the main character, Maria. What I found it yeah. to be fascinating was the part where the story takes place in Colombia. The fact that the main, one of the main characters is a female and very specific about her demographics is that she's a 16 year old virgin. How did you yes. come up with the idea that this is going to be a young woman who will be a virgin playing the pivotal role to prove your theme? Well, it's, it's very much an analogy. Uh, to what happens in the, the biblical narratives. Uh, so there is, even though it's not documented to my understanding in the Bible of how old uh, Mary was in the Bible, there's a belief that she may have been around 16. And and so I was working on that premise that there's so many parallels in this story and of how these um, elements may coincide with, uh, you know, the the spiritual element of what is, I guess, in the Bible, we're looking to see what what parallels we can draw in a modern age, I think. And so that's what I was doing. So people who are uh, well-versed in the Bible will see a lot of elements which uh, correspond with biblical stories. Because you also touch upon the theme of miracles. Yeah. What is one miracle that you have encountered in your life? Oh, wow. Um, that's an interesting question. Uh, I think sometimes in the past I've had a couple of cases where I had strong premonitions of events. And it's not that I could see exactly what was going to happen, but I had a very strong feeling that something very, very important was going to happen. And I was going to have a very strong emotional response to it. And and that kind of moment is so perplexing at the time until you actually have the event. And we go, oh, my God, that is so literally what I was having this feeling about. But then the event happens. And I had to have the feeling beforehand. And I don't know what you'd call that a miracle. Uh, I would just say that it, it made me really wonder about the nature of life and time and spirituality, who we are and and where where does consciousness begin? When does consciousness end? Some people believe that consciousness is just within us. Other people say it's much broader than that. So moments like that made me very much question what is the nature of reality, particularly beyond what we're told. In the book, there are many spiritual themes that are touched upon. How were you introduced to spirituality in your life? I was brought up as a Catholic and I found that my personal style of spirituality was, I guess I was often a bit of a black sheep, I suppose. So I was often challenged by the idea of one group um, having sort of, I guess, exclusive ownership of of, of divinity or, or of a God. And I thought that just kind of didn't make sense to me. And I was growing up in an area where there were other faiths in the area. And so these were just kids on my street as you know, we're all just playing together. And then you would find out, well, they believe this and these other people believe that. And they're just nice kids. They're just living their life. Their families are nice people. And and I thought there must be something bigger than each of these little groups saying we own this, you know, and it's our story. And I think that really forged a path for me that I, I was looking for that, I guess you could call syncretism, which is the, the, the thing that unites us all. People are very keen to discuss what divides people, but what unites us? 
And so in this story, particularly Holy Parrot, I think I'm really seeking to answer that. And, uh, and I hope I've done a reasonable job of that. Well, the parrot's name is Gabriel, and Gabriel plays a pivotal part in religious history as one of the angels. Mm. And this is what uh, Gabriel is in the story. You know, even though Gabriel is a parrot in the story, the locals call uh, Gabriel a, a spirit or an angel because uh, Maria sits in front of this parrot and rocks back and forward each day saying today will be a good day. And so the parrot parrots that statement. And in doing so, the people took that statement as being a blessing. And it just it became this notion from the village before she started talking about what the, the prophecy was, that the village was already referring to the parrot as being an angel. And and that's really part of the, the setup of the story. What I found interesting was that uh, the book also touches upon the coming of the Christ every 2,000 years. And as someone who attended uh, Sunday school as a kid, I was aware of the coming of the Christ, but I never knew it was every 2,000 years. So where did that emanate from? Was it strictly the Bible? No, no, this is probably pre-Bible uh, information. I hope I, I don't want to offend anybody uh, by saying some his his. Historical information doesn't always match exactly what's in the Bible. And so there were Christ-like um, figures before Christ and possibly some of the Egyptian stories were the, the early stories. And I was reading uh, when in my enthusiasm to read about spirituality and seeing about mythology, I suppose, is uh, as another element. I started to read about the, the historical factors outside of Christian faith. And uh, um, Joseph Campbell probably was a one of the, the main writers that I would refer anyone to there who's interested in this topic, because I would definitely not say I'm not I'm not a historian by any means. Uh, so I was just interested in the, the stories of of the other Christ like. And I guess the story was a living, dying, resurrecting God man. There's, there's quite a few versions of that story. And and uh, you could possibly, if, if someone's listening is interested in that, they could look that up and, and Joseph Campbell would possibly be a good source of those stories uh, if, if they're interested. As a filmmaker, you have the privilege of traveling to different parts of the world and the story is based in the village of Buritaka. Have you visited the actual village? Yes. So uh, so what happened was that I I, I wrote the the treatment, I guess you would call it, uh, for the story in Australia, and it was based on the fact that I had been to South America, but not Colombia, and and I was feeding uh, parrots on my balcony, and got a Colombian friend who was visiting with other Colombian friends, and we were just talking about the religion in the area, and I guess superstition as well was a big part of our, our conversation, and it just really dawned on me that that I had this idea of of bringing this story and making it Colombian because the the demographic seemed perfect for what just somewhat popped into my head as being an idea and so then I I put it together then I realized yes I've got to go to Colombia to finish this story and the odd part about it was that I actually had uh, strangely a few injuries uh physical injuries because I'm quite sporty uh that plagued me during the writing of this and one of them was that I was uh, doing swimming races here in Victoria, and I the gun went off for one of the races, and I ran up a sand dune, and there was a big snap in my leg, and I think I don't know what that was, but I was at the top of the sand dune by then, and so then I just sort of stumbled down the sand dune, and I thought, well, it didn't really hurt, I'll just do the race, and I I did the race, and I came out the other end, and I couldn't walk, and so I had to hop in soft sand across the 
uh, finish line. And I didn't walk for two weeks, actually, because we did an MRI and I had a 14-centimetre tear in my um, left calf. And from that, I was meant to be in uh, Colombia five weeks later. And I thought, oh, my God, now I can't go to Colombia. So I actually changed my plans. I was actually originally going to write uh, the villages being um, uh, a very remote village on the Pacific side of Colombia called Nuki. And I was thinking to myself, look, it is far too remote for me to turn up with such a bad I shouldn't probably be traveling anyway, uh, but it's with such a bad injury. So then I, I did my homework. And I thought, no, I'll move to the Caribbean coast and I'll find this town. And uh, and so I, I turned up. I was in a moon boot and uh, I was just trying to get myself around uh, with difficulty. And then I sort of plonked near uh, uh, Buritaka, not in Buritaka, at, um, near the Tayrona National Park. And then when I found Buritaka, I was just like, this is it. This is perfect. And so I pretty much sat there for a few days and just like thought about the story and to write this element, this, this element, that, and just put it all together. And I thought, that's it. And, uh, and oddly enough, the, I guess why I mentioned the, the leg problem too, because when you're in pain, your, your mind gets a little bit disoriented because of pain. And so if you're seeking to be creative, I think it somewhat allows uh, of a, a clearer channel to creativity. And so some of the ideas I was coming up with, because I was a little bit delirious, were, I thought, a little wild. <laughs> and uh, so when I finally got to the editing point, I thought, I, I really don't know what I've written here, because I was I was kind of like off, off my dial a, a little bit for, uh, with the discomfort. But uh, once I read it, I thought, oh, no, it's uh, it's actually worked out okay, Thank, thankfully. Uh, Leo is an undergrad student from Australia in the book. And yeah. prior to crossing paths with Maria, is he someone who is spiritual and has faith, or is he just a student with a lot of curiosity but no higher belief? Okay, so I think I was trying to create a, a the opposites between the two, and so the people in Burataka were very keen to uh, embrace um, a spiritual story. Whereas he's the meant to be the person who's meant to say, oh no, this couldn't possibly be true. And so he actually represents to some degree the, as being the, the narrator of the story, he's trying to look for where's this all going to fall over? And we're going to find that there's a scientific explanation for everything here, a very obvious scientific explanation. And he struggles to find it because things start happening, which he can't explain. And I think a big part of the story is actually Leo's development, being the, the narrator, that he grew up, as we find out, in a, a very scientific uh, environment, and he's under a lot of pressure to really be successful within that environment, and he'd never really contemplated his spirituality before that. And the experience for him forces his hand to find out how bigger the human experience is beyond what can be measured uh, in science and particularly when he starts hearing Maria uh, talking as she's meant to be channeling uh, the spirit of Gabriel she, she brings or, or um, Gabriel brings up topics about love light and life in in ways that he'd never contemplated and so in the experience in, in wanting to help Maria and wanting inadvertently to protect Maria he has to answer these questions within himself so it is really is largely about his spiritual development and how difficult it often is for a scientific critical mind to be able to expand into realms which can't be measured so uh, easily with reductionist methodology which is his world so i think yeah he came from a 
an environment which wasn't spiritual. He had never contemplated it and he was just thrust into it and right in the deep end. And, and we see how difficult it is for some people to, to break out of a, of a paradigm or a logic that they've been trained with and say, this is reality. This is truth. And then all of a sudden that reality and that truth is just thrown out the window and, and he has to find a way through. And well, I, I believe he does. What I found to be interesting was when Maria discovers that she's pregnant and knowing that she's situated in a village, regardless of the cultures in the world, typically in a village-like environment, there are, you could say, somewhat traditional belief systems that when she discloses this to her father, he does not respond well to how she got pregnant. No, so I think that's a very important moment in the story where I guess that's what we would call in storytelling the inciting incident is when Maria has to announce to everyone really uh, that she is pregnant and and it's not a traditional uh, pregnancy that she honestly believes that it's a virgin birth and she honestly believes that her um, parrot Gabriel told her what was going to happen and and then it manifested. The father uh, is really set up so that his first thought is obviously uh, a belief that she's uh, been uh, mucking around with someone in the village. But then the circumstances occur that he immediately finds out that there's a potential for a financial gain uh, of this story, that everyone is wanting to bring gifts and uh, and pay homage in some respect to Maria and her unborn child. And he looks at it as a business potential. And so his eagerness to chastise his daughter is quickly turned around as his as maria's mother tries to defend her she he sees okay i might be able to make something of this <coughs> and he does and that's another element excuse me <coughs> to the story of where some people will use this kind of context in a very personal game context so he somewhat plays an antagonist in that role how were you able to develop and allow the self-growth of Maria to unfold because through vulnerability and going through all of these unexplained changes, there is a bit of suffering in this in order for her to also grow as a woman and a human being. Suffering is is probably one of the key topics uh, of the or themes uh, of the story. Uh, I guess we find that out towards the end. I couldn't probably discuss that in too much detail uh, without it being a spoiler. And I think Oddly, in the human experience, there is a degree of suffering that seems to occur commonly for people to then transcend their limiting beliefs to become something greater than they once were. Uh, I think the Buddhists often refer to the idea of the lotus has to grow from the mud. And and so I think this occurs really for all three main characters in the story that we find out where they have been suffering and what they're suffering with and how they're dealing with it. And all three of them have very distinctively different ways of dealing with their suffering. And and we, we learn about their personal journeys and their personal stories. And we learn how all three actually, because uh, there's another character called Robin we haven't mentioned yet, and uh, we learn how all three deal with their past stories and and how they need to move forward and grow and develop. So I think in the storytelling, I look back as well at um, the the film I made in France called La Sour de Lange and also Mary Poser, uh, the book before Holy Parrot. I see that this theme of suffering and transcending suffering is clearly important to me and 
and I believe to be part of the pathway that we need to not necessarily be so frightened of it and, and look at the lessons in some of these uh, journeys that we all experience. You reference the how we need to transcend self-limiting beliefs. What is one self-limiting belief that you had once upon a time that you were able to transcend? It's funny to be able to kind of look back and and think, what did I believe? Because once you're into a certain frame of mind, you wonder what were you? But I think possible, if I was going to talk uh, generally, is to say that we have, I think we built a, a house of cards somewhat in our mind and we structure our thoughts and beliefs about what reality is with this house of cards. And we, we seem quite certain that we know what, is real and what isn't and how things are going to turn out and where I'm going to go and what I'm going to do. And sometimes in these inciting incidents, like it's written in these stories, the house of cards collapses and all of a sudden you realise that everything you'd built up to be true or real or correct is just something you'd built up in your mind and that reality is far more fluid and we have to be far more gracious and accepting of a of a greater reality that's not held within our mind and so that in itself that that moment of humility to realize that everything we thought we, we were on top of we weren't on top of uh you just have to go wow okay now i have to start again re almost recreate my mind with a new understanding that there's probably the things i know and and the things i don't know but there's so much that i don't know that i don't know that i have to learn about and i think it opens you up to a far more inquisitive mindset when you realize there's so much you don't know and uh, and very humbling. Speaking on holy element, how are we able to access heaven and how is heaven tied into the journey of the three characters? So there's the one of the topics in the uh, in the novel is about the concept of literalism and literalism is perhaps a a more modern concept in in a religion I suppose uh, less so in spirituality where people uh, are led to believe that um, heaven is a place and it's possible that heaven is more of a state of mind and so the book perhaps challenges some of the literalism that we now have in religion and to look at it from a different perspective to see what were we meant to interpret figuratively? What was it the meaning of something or the reason of something, not so much the, the literal demographic of something? So in referencing heaven, it may be something that people can explore if they want to. And again, I don't want to challenge anyone else's faith. It's more to say, well, heaven may be a state of mind. And then if it is, what do we need to do to access that? And by asking that very question, the the narrative actually covers that topic and Maria brings it up. So when she's channeling uh, Gabriel, she actually answers that question. And I, and I feel if I answered it here now, I may be, uh, may be spoiling the book. <laughs> so, um, Fair enough. So I, yeah, so I, I feel that uh, it is addressed in, in the book and, and Leo, being a scientist, is confronted by it. And he gives his interpretation of the information. And, of course, I'm very interested in other people's interpretation of it because, again, as a narrative, it's written in a way where people are absolutely welcome to see it how they choose and to take from it what they choose. But an idea is to say that is literalism appropriate and should we be looking at spirituality more figuratively in the stories uh, of spirituality? And, uh, and that's just a question, and it's up to the individual how they choose to answer that. 
Robin is the third character. Who is Robin? So Robin is a mythologist from Louisiana, and he really comes in as a character to to give us somewhat. Uh, it's a dangerous uh, a um, character to create someone who provides exposition and the idea of exposition is someone who who fills in all the gaps that someone may be missing when they're reading a story and it's like in a a um if you've seen some of the plots where people are looking down a, a microscope and one person explains to the other person next to the microscope what they're looking for under the microscope and that's exposition and and the two people in front of the microscope would already know what they're looking for, but they, they say it for the audience so the audience can sort of catch up. So Robin, in understanding mythology and understanding many mythologies, is the person who somewhat brings together the synergy or the syncretism of the the commonality of faith which is emerging around uh, Maria. And so he's often pointing it out to Leo who the different demographics are, what their faiths are, and how they're happy to embrace Maria and her story from a from a completely different perspective to the other group, and and so his role is to really bring us all together, and and he has a mission to that to do that, and he explains why he has a mission to do that based on his backstory and perhaps his suffering, as we mentioned earlier, and uh, we get to see whether he succeeds or not, and and Leo in understanding his mission uh, or Robin's mission is again confronted because he is wondering whether he is then part of that or is he a barrier to that and what should he do if Robin is trying to bring people together? What What is his role? So it's very important, their relationship and how they relate to each other and what they learn from each other. There's also reference to astrology. And what is the difference between the age of Pisces as it transitions to the age of Aquarius. So this is one of the elements that I was reading about and and getting my head around of the 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 I guess the Jesus age is meant to be the the Piscean age and that's why he was referred to as a, a fisher of men and there's a lot of these if you look to the comparative mythologists they will explain this a lot better than I I could hear for you but the idea of this 2000 year transition is the uh, astrological transitions and so we've coming out of this 2000 age of the Piscean age coming into the Aquarian age and the people who who follow this, you know, uh, are saying that there are different elements and different energies that are associated uh, with these ages. I think the age before the Piscean age was the Taurus age. I may be wrong, but I think it was. And we had a goddess age before the current, what you would perhaps say, the patriarchal age. One of the things I read uh, uh, commonly suggests that the new age, the Aquarian age, is far more the union of the masculine and the feminine. So we went from the, the goddess phase now to the god phase, and now we've got to move into this new phase, which will bring both together. How, obviously, we, we don't know, but that's a sort of speculation of what the Aquarian age will be. For any scientific mind out there listening to our conversation, how would you pitch the book Holy Parrot to them? Well, for a scientific moment, like I've got a Bachelor of Applied Science myself, so I get to understand that you know the scientific mind is told that you can rationalise everything down into a reductionist environment where if you get a, a anything, you can pull it apart enough to find out how it works. But the problem with that model is it doesn't see how things 
are beyond just pulling it apart into the smallest parts. If we look at it from the point of view, say, of uh, one of the concepts of, that's um, brought up of the reality of existence is that Gabriel says that the underlying existence or the laws of, uh, of our existence are love, light and life. If we look at those elements from a scientific point of view, love is very difficult to measure scientifically. And it's often why it's ignored in the scientific realm. It's difficult to qualify. It's difficult to quantify. And so if you wanted to run an, a scientific experiment that really deals with the topic of love, you would struggle because it's very difficult to set the foundation of where it fits in or not. So if you look at some scientific uh, elements, they'll often say, well, it's just a bunch of hormones, oxytocin and and uh, growth hormone, all these things mixing into together and exciting us, and that's all it is. But that isn't proven. That's just a theory. So if we were to say that consciousness was the beginning and then life followed consciousness the scientific model is that life began and then and then consciousness evolved that has never been proven that's actually just a theory so you could possibly have a conversation with a scientific person to say well where did consciousness begin you know and they i I know already they can't answer it but it might get them thinking about where is consciousness and when did consciousness begin? And because a spiritual version of events is completely the opposite to the scientific version of events, they often talk about consciousness and then the imagining of reality. And then from that imagining of reality, then life emerges. And as I said, the scientific model says, no, that almost if you through proteins, carbohydrates and fats against the wall often enough, eventually they'll all join together and crawl away. And you know, it's up to the, again, the individual, which one they choose to believe, because we don't have a lot of evidence of either. When writing the book, Holy Parrot, what percentage of your time did you invest in research and what percent was invested in writing the story? I'd say I'm always researching. I, it takes me forever to write a story. So I'm definitely not going to be a prolific writer, uh, particularly for novels because, yeah, it just, <laughs> I mean, I think this took me four years. I think I worked on a Mary Poser for five years and this took me four. So, and when we say researching, it's not like you're sitting down with a specific, you know, I'm looking for this. Often it's just stuff comes across your table and you've already got an idea in your head and it just reinforces what you're already looking for. It's, I find that an aspect fascinating is as soon as you start to focus on something, then elements appear in front of you that sort of answer the questions that you're, you're, you've put up inside your own mind that you, you almost think, how did that appear? Because I've been thinking about that and here it is now where it's never appeared to me before. And that's part of the spiritual path for me. I find fascinating that you, you have to be very aware of what you focus on because it will, very much create and harness your reality. So I had the, the the idea of a story, and then the research was that because I've had such a an, an interest in comparative mythology and spirituality, and how it does somewhat conflict in society and conflict with science, the story just was almost the the part that was obvious, and 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 the rest of it, yes, was was all research, but not specifically you know but I'd, so 80 maybe 80 percent research 20 percent writing but the writing took me four years <laughs> when creating these characters that we did not mention is there any character on the tangent that you really enjoyed developing yet played a critical role to support the main story of the three characters uh yes so there's 
Possibly one of them is the mother of this uh, young boy, Pablo, in the story who disappears. And uh, Maria is accused of killing him. And she plays a pivotal role as an antagonist. And I think one of the important things in any story is to have a, a believable antagonist who, who believes in themselves. And so her role is really to make it difficult for Maria. And she does. And, but then she has her own narrative arc as well of, of what she needs to learn and grow from in the story. So I, I gave her a complete narrative arc as well, but it really, her role was to show that when people do have their own, I guess, limiting beliefs and, and their own fears, this woman was very uh, driven by fear. Um, what that does with people and she's very threatening in, in the story and, and that, possibly motivates Leo as well because they're very aware of, of the power of this woman, of what she could do, potentially do to Maria and her child to the extent that they discuss it and and there is a, a moment where it becomes quite dangerous. And uh, so I think she's quite pivotal that you do need a, a strong antagonist for any growth. So when people are, are worried in their own life of saying, oh, you know, there's all these difficulties, I, I hate to say it, but they're necessary because they're the difficulties that are put there as somewhat the the barriers that you need to learn how to hurdle and get over or get around. And so don't begrudge them. Find out why they're there and 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 literally grow from it. Thank them eventually. <laughs> Speaking to all of the future writers, do you have two tips, two writing tips that have helped you or that you have discovered in your profession that could help other people? Yeah, I think it, it would definitely help uh, for people to understand the nature of a narrative arc. So when you're writing a story, it's very, yes, there's a lot of people say, oh, I have a story. Um, there are somewhat rules. They're not, you, you, you also want to know when to break the rules, of course, but there are some elements. And I, I like to follow the Act 1, Act 2, Act 3 uh, narrative with an inciting incident and a number one or, or a number of moments in the story, which you would call a deus ex machina moment. And the deus ex machina is Latin for God of the machine. And so what happens in that moment is that when you believe all is lost, something happens that's external to your own understanding that propels the story forward in a, in a new direction. And the inciting incident is usually at the start of a story where you think life is going along and then something happens that, well, you can't keep going on. You have to change. And, and Act 2 is what the change is and the, and the struggle of that. So I think learning of the art, the craft, I should say, of of storytelling, that's a key point. The other one I would, I would probably say is uh, persistence. Uh, whenever you have anything to do, you you really like a storytelling. You, you're the person who has to turn up every day and do it. And it's not easy. Not You're not going to be celebrated early or no one's going to roll out the red carpet for you early. It's something that you just need to work and work and work. And it's and it, sometimes it isn't pleasurable. I, I knew when I was, uh, you know, hobbling around in my uh, moon boot in, in, in uh, Colombia, you know, I was it was driving me mad, but I was just so driven to to do this, and and I was in a lot of pain. I, I, I must admit, in a lot of cases, sometimes I was in tears with pain. But it's something was so important to me. So I think the whole point is is yes, persistence. And if you really want to say um, believe in yourself, well, it's really from a point of view of don't give up. 
And, and if you do that and you then also study the, the nature of storytelling, the art of storytelling, then that'd be the two elements that I would recommend. Do you have a writing ritual? Yes, yes, yes. So I, uh, I, I would find that a lot of the times I, I probably want to make sure that I'm in a space where I can be very relaxed. So sometimes after exercise is good because again, I, I do believe that sometimes you've got to get past your mind, your, your sort of logical mind to get into that creative space. So I'd, I'd often find that, uh, I paddle and I swim and, uh, uh, things like that will, will put me in a space where I, I feel like, right now I'm in that moment where I can really open up a little bit more and sort of, it's almost like what Gabriel was doing in the story where you sort of open up and see what comes in. You do feel to some degree that you're channeling something greater than yourself. I, 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 I think I'm at the point where I would say that I do think that consciousness is greater than something within our mind. I know that Nikolai Tesla said that um, he knew that the human, or he could prove that the human brain was a receptor, but he just didn't know where the signal was coming from. And once I read that, I thought, oh, that's really cool. So where is our consciousness and where do we get our ideas from? So I, I, I sometimes somewhat came up with the idea that the, the mind is a bit like a a modem for a computer where it's actually meant to filter information. And so sometimes we need to sort of open that out a little bit and get past that filter and see what's out there. And so that's my ritual. And and I've been recommended by a, a friend to, to always light a candle when writing. I think that's a beautiful thing to do as well. And you have that little moment of reflection and you're just wondering where where am I, what am I writing? Just staring and gazing at a candle is is a beautiful moment of present time consciousness because I think uh, as I've just been traveling recently, uh, staring at a flame, it just, you are just so present. And I think so a candle is possibly one of those things I find is a beautiful moment of a ritual too. You appear very spiritual and you, as a very accomplished writer, you have received, achieved at least 14 awards out there on a global platform. Do you have a mentor? Or were you a self-taught writer? Uh, self-taught. Uh, I. What happened, I suppose, if I was going to say from the actual writing side of it, in my uh, high school, I think it was year 11, they just, uh, dis- I guess we call that um, in high school, I was probably 17, um, they had a, a, comp- a, a competition for writing just to do a short story. And I thought, okay, well, I'll go in that. And I'd been very much being pushed uh, into science and I was doing all the science topics. I thought, no, I, I was doing a bit of uh, music theatre back then. I, I enjoyed the art. So I thought I'd, I'd enter this competition and I won it. And so I thought, oh, okay, so I, I won a writing competition. And you have a moment like that where you go, oh, I'd never really thought of of being a writer. And then when... I was working on the scripts and, and, and writing the scripts for the films. I'd, I'd never really thought of taking it even further to being a, a novelist until enough people said, why don't you do this? You know, you write well, you can do this. And, and I, I didn't have that faith in myself. And I thought, Oh, I guess I'll give it a go. And, and then from then I, I, of my style, as I relayed then, I, 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 did a lot of reading of the of the the art of writing of what elements should be involved and then yes i think the the books are probably my mentors and then from then i have more really i would argue to say i have spiritual guides of people who i uh, who i bounce ideas from and, and with who can then sort of allow me to sort of develop concepts of how i want to communicate things uh, through the narratives and so 
so yeah, self-taught for the for the novels, and then but the spiritual side, I've got some wonderful people in my life who really guide me well. As we start to wrap things up, what is your favorite part of writing, and what is your least favorite part of writing? Ah, yes. So the, my favorite part of writing is the first part, where if I if I was to say that there's three stages in the way I write, is to first do a treatment, then you do a script, and then I do the novel. Uh, the treatment is the is the fun part because that's where you just really put down, you know where it starts, where it goes and where it ends and some of the nuances of, of the nature of the feeling and the themes of, 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 of what the story is going to be. I really enjoy that and I can write that very quickly and I've, I've actually got a dozen of those. I'm sitting on a, a dozen story treatments that I'll, I'll work my way through. The second part, uh, writing the script, I find reasonably because it's a fast style of writing where you just cut to the chase, you know, where you are, what the people say, what happens, and you can move through. And then, of course, the, the possibly the part that I find most difficult is the, the part where you wrap it all up into a very precisely worded narrative, which, which is what the novel is, because it's that precision uh, of making sure you have all the elements and all the narrative arcs being properly rep- represented. There's so many um, ingredients to the novel that I sometimes get a little lost in making sure I'm keeping them all working and keeping them all on track. And and that's mind-boggling sometimes where I sometimes lose sleep over, oh, yes, I've got to f- finish that off. And, oh, yes, I've got to wrap that up. And, yes, oh, I've got to make sure that works. And and that's hard work. That's 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 definitely a very difficult process and take, takes me a long time. But once you get to the end, it's very rewarding, of course. And finally, are there any activities related to Holy Parrot or your filmmaking that audiences should keep an eye out for? And things are coming up? Yes. Yes. So uh, we're not directly because I'm working, the next project I'm working on is a graphic novel, uh, which is a, a story I've been working on for a long time. We're just putting the illustrations together. It's called uh, Bring Me to Life. And it, that's about a, a ghost who, somewhat of a ghost who seeks to return to life uh, for love. And so it's a metaphor of, again, of us being lost in the, in the darkness and then finding our way back to love. And so I'm working on that. The the scripts are for both Mary Poser and Holly Parrots are always in degrees of development. And so I really can't say anything about those uh, because until something's signed, you know, and fully official, I, I really, you, you can't disclose. So I have to just say, you know, watch this space. And, and once things are moving forward, uh, definitively, I'll definitely say something. And I promise, last question, from all of the characters that you have created in your career so far if you had to play a character what would be that character that you created and why oh okay well i'd probably move towards the easiest character <laughs> to, to play because it's just you know you you feel like it's uh, it's it's going to be the person that you could possibly portray most realistically so in uh, in holy parrot uh, Leo is really somewhat of a parallel to my own uh, spiritual development. So I could probably say playing him uh, would be easy because you can, I can really relate in many times to his confusion and where he has to push himself through different ideas. And so his, his personality and otherwise, uh, yes, I could pull that off in a <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome to let audiences know where they could 
find you and support your work? So there is the uh, the website Angels Leap. So it's angelsleap.com. That's probably the best place uh, to look. I, I'm so sorry that I'm terrible with social media. I'm, I'm going to try and improve that. There's also a Facebook page uh, for Angels Leap. It's it's just areas that I'll, I'll need to really – I think I have been focusing on the writing itself and so then to sort of broaden the the – the possibility of then being able to interact with audiences. Uh, I'll do uh, focus on that now that the story's finished. I've, I've just completed a, uh, a what we call the big lap in Australia, where you drive around Australia, and I did somewhat of a a travel log that I've put together, and I'll be uh, sharing that with the audiences through the uh, Facebook pages of of Angels Leap and uh, and just really where else I would share that. No, probably Angels Leap is where I'd share that. And so if people are interested in looking at the journey, uh, they'll be able to share that uh, um, and experience that when once I start uploading, which I'll be doing very soon. So yeah, that's that's really it. Angels Leap is where where the uh, the, the main information will be found. Adam, thank you very much for enlightening us with your latest release, Holy Parrot. Thank you so much, Sasha. Thank you for your time. Get your best together. Go!